would you? We're going to continue in a series that we started last week called Relationship Balance, and this is message number two. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about uncommon commitment. First, let's make a declaration of faith. This is my Bible, God's written living word. It reveals to me who God says I am and tells me what God says I can have. Because it's how he thinks, I choose to believe and act on what I'll read. And therefore, I am transformed. Our text is found in Isaiah, the ninth chapter. You will immediately identify this verse of Scripture as one of the great Easter, or excuse me, Christmas passages about the coming of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 9, and I'll begin in verse 6. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. Watch this. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this possible. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this possible. These two verses speak about the rule of Jesus, who was yet to come to the earth when this was prophesied. Again, we know this passage as a very famous Christmas type of introduction to the coming of Christ and his rule and his reign here on the earth. What I've never seen before in the words here is the type of commitment God had to you and me and this world. It says he was passionately committed. Passionately committed. God's rule is marked by passion. A passionate commitment to perform it. And that kind of commitment is very uncommon today in our society. In and out of marriages, in and out of relationships, in and out of jobs and careers, in and out. You know, if we don't like it here, then we'll just change. You know, if it gets, if we get rubbed the wrong way and it gets a little difficult at the workplace, we'll just change. We can go down the street. <laughs> if it's, if it's too rough in our marriage, you know, and we, we've been having a few months of difficulty, we start thinking about plan B. I'm so glad God didn't have a plan B. I mean, think about it. We can make it pretty rough on the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm not always all together. I'm kind of a broken, messed up guy, you know, and, and I know I displease the Lord. And he never, never thinks about a plan B. He's passionately 
committed. We have a second text this morning, and it's in the book of Romans. Would you join me there? It's over in the New Testament, the book of Romans. We're going to have these verses for you on the screen behind me in most instances. Romans chapter 12, I want to look at verse 2. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Could we read this aloud? Ready, read. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Notice, God wants you to know. God expects us to know his will for our lives. But first, there needs to be a transformation in order to be able to understand God's will. How does that come? Look at it. Do we have it up, Jeff? By changing the way you think. This is why we make that declaration over the scriptures that we're going to read every morning, every time, excuse me, every Sunday. This is my Bible. Because it's how God thinks. I choose to believe and act on what I'm going to read. And therefore, I am transformed. Why? Because it changes the way we think. You know, a good example here of this passionate commitment and how God thinks and the difference between the way the marketplace today thinks, the way the world thinks today, and the way God thinks is marriage. Here's the world's way. Number one, find the right person. <laughs> don't, don't, don't come back by bat. Don't do that. Patience for the pastor. Patience for the pastor. Find the right person. Oh, my goodness. How before we're married, you know, it's all about finding the right person. You know what it's called? Dating. You know what dating does? Modern dating, it just sets you up for divorce. Because the whole idea of dating is, I'll just run through the mix until I find the right person. And what happens to all the others before you find the right one? You divorce them. That's why the whole modern thing of dating isn't biblical at all. <clears throat> Number two, thank you, Jeff. <laughs> Fall in love. Really. Love is about falling in love. I'm going to fall in love. 
you see, is I'm going to find the right person, and then I'm going to kind of fall. It's kind of like falling off at a train station, you know, where they have the elevator. We don't really have these, you know. We don't. It's not common for us here in, in Colorado, anyway, to have subways and so forth. But if you've ever visited New York or back east, you know they have the underground subways, and they have the, you know, the train stations where you can literally fall off into a pit. And and. Uh, Falling in love is often like that. Just kind of falling off. Number three, fix all your hopes and dreams on this person. Find the right person, fall in love with them, and then fix all your dreams, your hopes on that one person. Let me ask you something. For those of you that took that approach to marriage... How's that been working out for you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then number four, if failure occurs, oh, and it will, there will be failure that occurs. Just repeat steps one, two, three, and four, and it's just endless. And we have people today who have been divorced, you know, six, seven times. It's celebrated in Hollywood. There's always a plan B in the pocket. But here's God's way. God's way is become, number one, become the right person. How do we do that? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Changing the way that we think we become like him. And then we choose to, number two, walk in love. Why? Yes, love is a choice. Love isn't a feeling. Love is a choice I make. In fact, real love stays when everything is going south and not working. When failure does come, that's when love antes up, buckles the seatbelt, gets ready for the ride, and says, you know what? I am passionately committed. Oh, there's a word that just isn't common in our modern vernacular today. We don't talk about commitment. We don't, we don't talk about being committed to the marriage, that divorce is out of the question, that this is once for all, that there's no plan B. Now, for those of you that have been divorced, maybe even divorced and remarried, there is no condemnation to you. And oh, by the way, God does not expect you to stay in an abusive relationship where you have done your best to get counseling and help and the other person who's being abusive will not receive that correction. There is a limit to where God says, you take your hands off that thing. Here's, what, here's the way Paul said it. If a unsaved person, or if a person who's not walking with God, like you might be, and hopefully you are in the marriage, is pleased to dwell with, then don't divorce them. Even if they're not a Christian, Paul says. Now, beating your spouse is not the definition of pleased to dwell with, all right? So see, there's limits to this thing. The Bible says, choose life set before you this day, blessing and cursing, life and death. Choose life. The Bible talks about putting love on, like I put on my coat this morning, I took it and I, I put it on. It was a choice I made. I didn't make the coat, right? I can't boast in the coat. 
and for whatever it might do for me, well, you know, that's the coat, that's not me. You know, that's just the threads. They look good, they look, you know. So, but I choose to put the coat on. You choose to love. So you become, then you choose to walk in. And number three, then you fix all your hopes on God. Because without him at the foundation of your marriage, it really is not going to work. Oh, what's it say? Fix all your dreams on not that person, but on God. Typo, sorry. So that should say on God. You get the point. And number four, if failure occurs, then you repeat step one, two, and three. You become... You make a choice to love and put it on, and you fix all your hope and your dreams on God. Because for sure, in that relationship, there are going to be problems. It's going to get difficult to stay, but you are passionately committed to it. Now, see, this is what God expects when he talks about commitment. It does take work. But it is possible. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3 and 4 says, It takes wisdom to have a good family, and it takes understanding to make it strong. It takes knowledge to fill a home with rare and beautiful treasures. I love the Living Bible's translation of this. Look. Any enterprise is built by wise planning, becomes strong through common sense, and profits wonderfully by keeping abreast of the facts. You see, your marriage can profit wonderfully by keeping abreast of the way God thinks. Not what you read <clears throat> in the world's magazines, not what you hear on the news, not what you may hear even from a well-meaning friend, but what the Word of God says, what God says himself. Those who have great relationships, they're not lucky. They're not just fortunate. They work at it. I have a great relationship. But I'm not lucky. I'm not just fortunate. We have to work on our relationship. Amen. <laughs> we had a dust-up this week over something spiritual. I mean, over something that should have just been wonderful. We had a little dust-up. A dust-up? Dust yeah. Yeah, that's... Have, have, you, have you ever... Have your glasses ever been, you know dusty, dirty, fingerprints, whatever, and you put them on, and then you look up into the light, and it's all fractured, and it's a very bothersome. If you work at a computer, it's very hard. I mean, you have to take them off and clean them. You'll get a headache. I was getting a headache. <laughs> His glasses were dusted up. <laughs> now, she wears glasses, too. She was getting a headache. We were getting a headache. Even in our attempts to look up at the light of Christ, to keep our focus on God, it was all fractured. It was messed up. Oh, sure. I mean, the emotions can be overwhelming. They can go from, oh, this is just a little, you know, it'll pass, to let me out of here. Oh, come on. Don't look at me in that sanctimonious little holy. <laughs> no, we, we've never even mentioned the word divorce in our marriage. Well, God bless you. There's probably another church for you somewhere where you can be comfortable in your piety and your holiness because it won't work here. I mean, your pastors have dust-ups. But I'll tell you what, because there isn't a plan B, because we are passionately committed to 
this principle of relationships and commitment, then we work on it. We're doing good. I love her this morning. <laughs> she told me she loves me. Yeah. I think that was before the dust up. Oh, that's before the dust up. Okay, well, look what I have to look forward to. Isn't that great? I want to talk to you quickly. Would you follow along? Uh, six commitments which characterize God's kingdom. These six things characterize his way of doing things, his rule, his presence, his kingdom. And I want to remind you something here, that his kingdom is the fruit of a covenant of grace which finds its fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ, not the do-it-yourself religion that's so often proposed when it comes to commitment. I am not proposing that you take these six items and turn them into a new biblical Torah, a modern-day list of do's and don'ts, things I have to try hard so that I'll be more passionately committed in my relationships, plural, plural, because they apply to all relationships. No, this is not more do-it-yourself religion. This is based on the fact that Jesus himself came and accomplished everything you and I need to have successful relationships. He did it. He did it on the cross. It's a covenant of grace. And so that, that's why we said here that step number three was putting all our trust, all our hopes and our dreams in a person called Jesus, not in the person that we have chosen to love. You know, normally when you even use the word covenant, people think about if you will do or if you do this, then I will do that, you know. <clears throat> I will do this if you do this. Covenant, right? We kind of walked away from the marriage that way even after saying our vows, you know. I will do this. I pledge to do this. But in the back of our minds, it was if you do that... We even see God that way. We see God as a, I will do this if you do this. That's called law. And we've been delivered from the law. So these six characteristics of commitment that I'm going to give you now are not about if you do this, then God will bless you and make your relationships good. God's already blessed you. God has already provided everything we need for a rich relationship with everyone in each thing. And these things now remind us of that beautiful power, that covenant of grace that's working on our behalf. You know what it is? It's Christ in me. And so I'm already ready to just be. Because I'm in Christ, he is in me, I I'm already these six things that I'm going to give you. In other words, I just need to be these six things, not try to do these. You're not listening to me. I should see more smiles. God, God wants to deliver us from the do-it-yourself religion. 
sermon after sermon after sermon that we hear, read, watch on the television winds up going into that box where we create that list of more things I need to discipline. I need to be a good disciple of Christ and discipline myself and go through my checklist and be sure I'm doing these things. And God says, wait, that's not at all the relationship I'm looking for with you. I've already done it. You're in me. I'm in you. And so rest. Rest in who you are in me and just be. You ready? Number one. God will never leave me. God will never leave me. There's a word we don't use often in our relationships. God will never leave me, and so I choose, I am never going to leave you. God will never leave me. So, sweetheart, I will never leave you. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Say it. God will never leave me. Therefore, you have the ability to never leave. And you understand the context. I've already laid the parameters in which that would not apply in an abusive relationship. Look at this. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. I will never leave nor forsake you. I love that word. Never, never, never. A lot of our problems come from the fact that we haven't made that commitment yet to the relationship that's in trouble. Number two, God always loves me. Therefore, I will always love you. God always loves me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 5. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, watch, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Let me ask you a question. Is forgiveness for Christians too? Why don't we act like it? Most of us act like we're not forgiven until we go find a place of humility, where we're bearing shame and guilt and we feel dirty and we have to pray for a certain amount of time. And then we need to get this feeling that we're forgiven. Why do we do that? When the Bible says that before you ever loved him, before you were seeking him, before you ever developed a relationship with him, he loved me and you while we were still sinners. He loved us. And you know what? He doesn't have a sinner love and a Christian love. He doesn't have a love before you come to Jesus and a different love now that you are with Jesus or in Jesus. Would you get rid of that thinking? He loves us perfectly. He loves your neighbor perfectly. He loves that person who's steeped in a lifestyle that to you might be abhorrent. But to him... He loves without all of those trappings perfectly, perfectly. He loves us. Wow. And because he loves me, I love 
you. Romans chapter 8, nothing can separate us. You know the verse, right? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Number three, God believes in me. Therefore, I believe in you. God believes in me. What do I mean? Well, it says in John chapter 15, for instance, you didn't choose me. I chose you. <laughs> it's actually a spiritual pride to begin to think, well, you know, I chose the Lord. And this week, I have been reviewing my list, and I prayed every day for at least 10 minutes. And I read my Bible on Tuesday and Wednesday and Friday. I did pretty good. And uh, I didn't yell at my spouse, I didn't hit my kid, and I didn't flip anybody off while I was driving. <laughs> Right? And so, yeah. Yeah. So, I'm pretty good. I, I'm choosing God. I'm, I'm choosing to live for God. I'm choosing to be right. I'm choosing to obey. How interesting. And he says, wait a minute. You didn't choose me, I chose you. In fact, I chose you when you were quite ugly. <laughs> I chose you when you were quite outside of anything that could be called Christianity or loving the Lord or being a passionate Christ follower. I loved you. And oh, my love didn't change. It's the same love. You know, I loved you just as much then as I do now as I ever will. Isn't it wonderful? That following Christ is not about behavior modification or performance, but simply receiving and walking in, making a choice to receive what Jesus already did. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. This is real love. And that's the highest kind of love, by the way for your relationships. If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That choice to love even when you're not being loved. How many of you made that choice in the past month? To love, to, to be kind, to be graceful, to use kind words, whatever, even when it wasn't being returned to you. Even when it does not feel like it, exactly, yeah, wow. So somebody's hurt you, huh? Somebody said something mean? Huh? Somebody didn't greet you in the hallway out here this morning? And you were really expecting, I mean, I walked right by you. Didn't say a word. Like you don't exist, don't, didn't notice you. And so now you've just been fuming. I mean, you haven't even been able to listen to the message. It's just been going up and up. God says, choose. Despite your feelings, choose to love. I can't do that. Not in yourself. You can't. I'll, I'll grant you that. Inable, unable, in, uh, incapable. But in Christ, then you just be. You be because he did. He chose me, so I choose to love you despite, in spite of 
Number four, God accepts me. Therefore, I accept you. God accepts me. Somebody said, you mean just the way I am? Yeah. Well, don't I have to change first? No. You know, there's some things that aren't going to change. In fact, that's part of love. That's part of the love commitment that we make to each other. That even if you don't change to be like what I imagined you should be or what I think you should be, you don't need to change because God is going to work something in my life and in my heart that gives me a love and an appreciation and an honor even for those things in you that aren't like, how many of you are tracking with me? That's the beautiful thing about marriage. We get married to get to be happy. God allows us to marry. It was his idea. God suggests and encourages us to marry, to work on me, to develop things in me, to change me. I got married to be happy. He let me get married and blessed it so that I could learn and grow and mature. Wow. Those relationships you're in, not even the one marriage. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it is in your family, but not your spouse. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a neighbor. <laughs> I play racquetball with a, with a guy whose neighbor came over one day, knocked on his door, and said, your dog has been barking for you know, X amount of time, you know, hours, long time. You need to shut your dog up. And it just hit this guy, my friend, wrong. How many of you have ever had something like that? It just, there was no real reason. You could have handled it a little bit differently, handled it in grace. It just hits you wrong. Ooh, he got so mad. So he lit into her. And then she went back and forth with him a couple more times. And, of course, her dog does similar kind of things. So he went out, crossed over the back of his fence, climbed over the back of his fence, climbed up on top of hers, stood up on top of it, and started barking. Have you ever been that mad that you would do something like that? Isn't that amazing? Oh, we had such a good time with it. This is somebody I play racquetball with. We we were just falling out. There's four or five of us that he shared this. I thought, oh, that is so, so descript of how that that anger can rise up within you. You just want to smash somebody's face. You just, you just... Some of you are looking at me like, Pastor... (laughs) Not you. (laughs) To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he made us acceptable to the beloved. Before I was acceptable, in fact, I'll never be acceptable in and of myself. He's made me acceptable. I love that. Romans 15, verse 7. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. Number five, God protects me. Therefore, I protect you. What do we mean? 
2 Timothy chapter 3. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me out of all of it. How many of you have ever felt like you're experiencing Job's trials? Job in the Bible, you know, where he fell sick and, I mean, it just boils on his body. He was a passionate God server. He loved God. He was was a, a God man. And he got sick, just diseased, and his body was falling apart. And he lost his wife and his kids and all of his cattle and all his friends turned against him. So it's common for people familiar with that Bible story to relate their problems to his and say, I must be suffering with Job. Well, if you had lived 6,000 years ago, maybe. But you don't. And in the meantime, Christ came, and Christ died, and Christ has redeemed us, and Christ has reconciled us. And Paul said, look, I've been through it. I've been through all kinds of tests and trials and problems, but God delivered me out of them all. Is that our testimony today? That the Lord protects me. I realize I might be in the middle of something right now. You might be going through some some of your darkest times right now in your life. I say to you, hold on. There is no plan B. All right, stop looking for one. Keep passionately looking to the Lord. He will deliver you out of it all. Number six, God pursues me. And therefore, I'm going to pursue you. There's people in the room who, through the years, have pursued me with this kind of commitment, and I have to thank you. You've loved me. You've pursued me when I wasn't very lovely. Decisions I made were bad, and you pursued me. And I hope to be that kind of friend and passionate commitment in my life for you to pursue you, even when things are completely going south. Psalm 139, verse 7 and 8, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. Watch this. Surely goodness, Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall chase you all the days of your life. Right when you are in the middle of your darkest hour, you know what you should do? Turn around, say, hello, goodness and mercy. Smile, hello, goodness and mercy, and just keep going. Don't give up. Stay passionate. Stay committed to that thing, that relationship, that person, your church. Stay committed. And when it's dark and when it's heavy and when you're feeling overwhelmed, look, just would you do it right now? Just practice. Look over your shoulder and say, hello, goodness and mercy. Go ahead. Go ahead right now. Just look over your, maybe over the next shoulder, over your other shoulder. Hello, goodness and mercy. Just greet them because they are following you. They are chasing you. They never leave you. Now, it's interesting that this whole idea of being pursued by God does not 
translate nor follow into the New Testament. Can't find a scripture. Not a single one. I need you to focus. I need you to look right up here because if you heard nothing else, this is so important. Is there a reason why the idea in the scriptures about God pursuing me, God chasing me, never flows through to the New Testament or to the gospel, the good news? Yeah, you can't chase somebody who's already in you and you're in them. What are you going to chase? <laughs> I don't know how you do it. The Bible says, I am now God's house. He lives in me. Wow. He lives in me. If he's in you, then he doesn't need to chase you. The good news isn't about a person. I'm saying the good news, the gospel, the good, capital G, capital N, the good news is not about a person. It's not about a people. It's not about God saving a person. The good news isn't about God coming and saving a people. It's about the victorious establishment of God's kingdom on this earth and how he reconciled all of humankind to himself in what Christ did. That's the good news. And so regardless of the person you are talking to, you never, never, evangelize by breaking out a moral list and presenting to them behavior change and saying, if you will become like this and if you'll go to church and if you'll, God will save you. Excuse me? God has already saved them. God has already reconciled them to himself. The good news is past tense. It's about what Jesus came and established as his kingdom. And isn't it incredible? All the way back in Isaiah, he was prophesying to this, to this kind of life, to this kind of relationship, I am passionately committed I'll be called Wonderful and Counselor, Prince of Peace. You'll celebrate me on Easter and Christmas. Thank you. But I am passionately committed to you. And I love you so much, I'm going to bring my kingdom to earth. And on my own, without your permission or opinion, I'm going to restore you to myself, humankind, through my son, Jesus. And now... I don't try, I just be. Wow, let's bow our heads. Mm-hmm.